welcome back to Great Wellness Getaways. As we've been sharing in our podcast the last few days, it's a little different. We have been talking about some great wellness getaways across all types of travel in this great land of Canada. We've been talking about what the future holds for tourism. We've been looking at where stakeholders are sitting today. And as part of this program, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome an industry colleague and friend, Keith Henry. He's the president and CEO of Indigenous Tourism Canada. He has been a leading force for the growth of Indigenous tourism across our great nation, uh, Canada, and starting in British Columbia a few years ago. Keith, we've had an opportunity to get to know each other through many, many years, 15 or so now, I think. Yeah, yeah, been I, a while. yeah I'm so happy to welcome you to the show. How are you keeping? Uh, well, first of all, thanks, Cheryl, for having me on the show, and I, I appreciated the introduction. And um, it's been an honor as a Métis person to be helping grow Indigenous tourism for you know, a number of my years in, in my career, it's been a, quite a, a humbling experience and quite rewarding. So to be, you know, it, to put in the context how I feel about the impacts of COVID-19 for some of the work I've been contributing, right? It's not all been about me, but certainly helping be one of the people helping push our industry forward. It, it's been really hard to be, um, it's, it's almost tragic in many ways because, um, you know, I've seen, it took us so much heavy lifting to help build Indigenous tourism, whether it was in British Columbia and some of my past work, it was already being built, but it was continuing that build. And then to see the rest of the country start to really catch that sort of desire to want to build Indigenous tourism and see the entrepreneurs come together in the communities uh, and just see it all dismantled in six months um, to such an extent that it has its... Um, so I, on a personal level, I guess I'm keeping as well as I can, but... Um, it's pretty um, challenging to see the re, you know what we do face in front of us. I mean, um, I try to remain as optimistic as I can, but I'm also very a pragmatic person, and and you know you know as as we can all appreciate, uh, we need to build uh, a feasible, sustainable uh, industry, and and right now that's a really big challenge in front of all of us. It is indeed, and you know to your point, I I do want to talk more about how our Indigenous partners in tourism have been affected across the country because as we both know, tourism as an industry globally has been absolutely decimated. It is the most gravely affected according to all the stats and the data that are now coming out in, in every country around the world. However, there had been so much work done around Indigenous tourism and it was poised to be our leading sector, was it not, for our country? Yeah, it was actually Indigenous tourism was, uh, we've grown several hundred businesses in only the last few years across the country. We had about 1,800 businesses or so as of 2019, December 2019. So only, you know, basically, you know, from today, roughly nine months ago. Um, and we had come from, you know, uh, you know, it was only about 10 years ago, we had only 800 and some businesses. We've over doubled in 10 years. Uh, our revenues were accelerating. Our, our GDP was going up at a rate of about 20 to 23% a year, outpacing the, I guess, the, the, the growth of the tourism sector itself. Uh, so we were seeing substantial, both international and domestic interest in, in exploring Indigenous experiences, whether they were hotels or, you know, cultural centers or, you know, restaurants, uh, festivals and events, outdoor adventure. 
so there was what I what we've seen what we were seeing was uh you know why Canada was becoming a global leader almost in the last few years was simply because we were seeing such a diversity of experiences and businesses being created and owned and operated in an authentic way by our communities and our entrepreneurs that it was um you know, it was something to really be proud of. And Canada was really gaining world recognition for that, for that development. And, you know, it, it really was another way to separate how we market British Columbia, where we are today, or the rest of Canada as a, as a unique destination. And nowhere else in the world can you go to experience the beauty of, uh, you know, I, was, I, I think you've heard me say this in past years, you can see, you know, beautiful landscape. You can see beautiful oceans and water. You can see beautiful mountains. But that's not unique to just Canada. There's a lot of places in this world. But what you can't see anywhere else is the unique, authentic, indigenous culture that we have in this country anywhere but here. So it, it what we were really helping see was that everyone was embracing the role of indigenous tourism to help package the way we, we, we present Canada to the world and, and, and to each other in, in this country. So yeah, it was a uh, pretty exciting times, uh, you know, uh, uh, pre COVID and we were, it had taken us so long to get uh, our own tourism industry buying here in Canada, but mm -hmm. I felt we were really almost there and, and, you know, and now, you know, we just see that uh, I don't think it's going to change in that regard. I'm just saying that, I'm just hoping what COVID hasn't done is we we're trying to right now save a crisis. I mean, it's an absolute collapse of our industry and uh, it took us so many years to build 1800 businesses and um, you know, we're going to lose many of them now. Do you have any statistics on that at this point, Keith, or is it too soon? Perhaps well, we, we, we did some research uh, and in June we released a report from the conference board of Canada and we forecast minimally, we're going to lose 714 businesses out of 1800. And that was assuming, now the caveat to this is that that was assuming that the U.S. border would open up in July and that we would see uh, a lot of, you know, no real barriers to, uh, uh, you know, Canadians traveling freely throughout the country, both of which are true. So I, I unfortunately, we're going to be doing updated economic analysis with the Conference Board of Canada and we're going to be updating our inventory and I'm hoping that... Um, we were wrong and that there was more businesses that somehow survived and maybe just hibernated. Uh, but um, the way it looks today, I think that we may lose more than, I, I'm thinking the number will be more closer to a thousand businesses will be lost. It's absolutely mind blowing, isn't it? It, it's it is. And, and to be quite honest with you, our three largest areas of losses will one British Columbia is expected to have some of the largest losses. Uh, Ontario is going to have the second largest losses and the north uh, throughout the Yukon Northwest Territory none of it there's just no business to be had for the most part there's some local business but it's such small um, numbers that it's just not going to be feasible for businesses to survive so then the second challenge around that is does do these businesses have enough capital or liquidity to, to refinance uh, do they have enough cash in the bank to survive it and in our case the Conference Board of Canada showed uh, the analysis we put together. We said most of our businesses were about six months away from shutting their doors, and that was as of April. So now, unfortunately, as we enter into September, we're starting to hear more and more reports of businesses actually closing for good. So, you know, um, you know, and some of it isn't just bankruptcies. Uh, a lot of it, actually, that we're hearing so far is just 
sentiment that there's no future in tourism. And so some of our smaller entrepreneurs, you know, you know, some of them, uh, uh, I won't use names because I don't want to, because mm-hmm. they have told me, I'm just saying that there's a lot of small indigenous entrepreneurs that run outdoor adventure, guided walking tours, things like that. A lot of those individuals in other parts of the country are, are just, they just can't survive off this income now. So they're going to go off and do other work and, and getting them back to tourism is going to be really challenging uh, once, once we are able to fully reopen. It certainly is. And it, it's very wearing on, on all of us in the industry. And it's, it's, uh, it's sad. However, you know, in all these conversations I've been having of late with our, our, uh, our leaders of tourism, including yourself, there is an element of optimism in the sense that our industry, indigenous included, um, the the mainstream tourism with meetings and conventions, the cruise business, all that, there there is a resiliency within our peer group. And if if not even an element of positivity through everything, and you know, I've spoken to several of the indigenous operators, as you know, many of who are personal friends, and some of them have pivoted and are now trying to bring their their colleagues into their circle to help grow that. Do you see an opportunity in the, the months and indeed the years ahead for us to actually come together and look at this differently from the inside out as opposed to how we have been forced to look at it from the outside in? I absolutely do. I think that, you know, we've all, like, I mean, the essence of our industry has all been small, um, you know, sort of ex, uh, uh, intimate uh, kind of settings. You know, we're a small group, many of our businesses. So it's something we've kind of been already a, a part of and, and, and really we've focused on. I think the days of mass tourism are going to be gone for a long time. And we've been worried about that. So, so it's kind of interesting that COVID-19, although we're going through the initial challenges in the long run, will probably reshape tourism in a way that will be actually more attractive for indigenous communities to support because you know a lot of indigenous communities in the in the country we've come a long ways in terms of communities embracing whether they're first nation Métis, or Inuit. there's been more support for for getting involved in tourism and not being perceived as disnifying it so i think you're right i think there's a lot of optimism because tourism is having to reshape itself right Mm-hmm. Um, so it, many communities didn't want mass tourism. They don't want busloads of people coming and taking pictures and leaving. And, and they want people that want an immersive experience, whether it's enjoying their culture on the land or doing whatever it is they're doing in many ways. So I think this will be helpful to us in a lot of, a lot of ways. It's just that the hard part right now is just trying to get through what does this transition look like, you know, in the pain of business owners and, you know, and, 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 you know, I, I understand where people are coming from. It's important we maintain that that positivity. And I, I trust me, I, I, I do, you know, last week we signed an MOU with YVR or Vancouver Airport Authority. We're tr- at, at, at our national role. I'm very proud of the work of our team that we, we continue to try and create opportunity to raise awareness and marketing. But at the same time, I have to be realistic that I get, you know, literally dozens of calls a week of businesses closing. And you know, somewhere in between all that, you know, those indigenous, uh, you know, those indigenous owners of those businesses are devastated and, you know, good words are not enough. And I think that I, I also, I hope that as we, as we rethink tourism into the future, we, we also need to re rethink what is the inventory of businesses we do need to have to make sure we can maintain a certain level of, 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 uh, of sustainability. Right. And I think the other thing that 
I think needs to come out of this is, um, you know, we have to measure the, the success and impacts of tourism, not just on dollars and cents or GDP or visitor volumes or hotel stays or just the traffic going through airports. I mean, for Indigenous communities, it's around the social and cultural impacts as well. And, and is it positive or negative is, mm-hmm. is the other side of this for us. And so I think that I would encourage all of us in the tourism space that as we evolve this industry, we also look at other indicators beyond just the sort of economics of it. Because today is an example of we've been chasing the economic success and um, now we're in a position where, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty challenging right now. If you just, if we're brutally honest, I mean, uh, you know, uh, British Columbia and the entire country for that matter has been, uh, you know, uh, revenues have been challenging with a few, very few exceptions out there. So, you know, I think, I think it is cause for some, some, some positive things, but, you know, I just want to be really practical that, uh, you know, I, I, I can't in good conscience say that, uh, not all of that is shared by Indigenous businesses all across this country because I take those calls on a daily basis. Well, I concur, and I'm actually really very honestly interested and keen to hear more on your thoughts of uh, the social impact because I've long been a part of that camp of sustainability. And, I, you know, we all understand business revenues, all of that. But at the heart of it, perhaps we don't. And perhaps that... Uh, I'll be blunt and say that greed for that bottom line dollar for the big corporations, you know, that that own hotels and that are are driving convention centers and and governments and things like that through taxes, all of that, it's, it's giving us pause, isn't it? And it's forcing us to look at it differently, which you suggesting that the Indigenous culture understands that is so obvious. That's just so clear to me and many others in... I actually see an opportunity for you to be the leaders in the return to what will be a new normal. We can't possibly go back to the way we were, can we? Well, let's, I, I don't know what the new normal, uh, you're right. I, I, but I, I, my fear is that I, humans, we as, forget that you're indigenous or whatever culture you're from. Yeah. As an industry, we've shown that in 2008, we went through a challenge we rebounded and it all became about the same metrics of success. I don't think that's going to change. I, I, I hope it does, but I think that ultimately we're going to be driven because it is the, the desire to create tax revenues. It's the desire to create business profitability for certain large corporations in many cases. And, and I'm not, a, I'm not saying, you know, we don't need profitable companies. I'm just saying that, I hope that we give ourselves more pause and thought around social license. I think it's really important. Um, And let's just hope we do have a new future in tourism and how we measure success. So let's talk about, you know, I'll use British Columbia examples, um, which are very relevant, I think, for your audience. You know, look at what happened in Haida Gwaii this last year. You know, there's been an ongoing challenge for years over sport fishing in the area. And it wasn't that, you know, people from Haida Gwaii didn't want to work at sport lodges or didn't want to be part of being guides and non-Indigenous owned lodges. But the fact is there's only so, so many salmon up around Haida Gwaii and it's not an endless resource and stocks have been depleting for a number of years. And the council of the Haida nation had made a number of decisions multiple times over the years, their governance process to limit the impacts of sport fishing on their food fish. And that's, this is their, this is how they serve. This is their main food. And 
you know, slowly but surely now we're seeing that 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 has become part of the change to the tourism sector there. It's taken them many years. You know, I'm hoping COVID-19 and we've seen even through this process, some of the non-Indigenous lodges reopen there and it's caused all sorts of friction. We've got to find a better way to move forward together. And that's what I'm getting around how we measure success can't hopefully won't be the same when we come out the other end of COVID-19 because that is not a we're seeing in a moment of crisis and conflict uh, that conflict increasing so those are the examples that i hear about in the veil of the indigenous community issues uh, you know through itac and that's not isolated by any means we we see these kind of growing conflicts across every part of this country where there's a local non-indigenous operator they bring people into an area there's no benefits left behind so I always find it funny because when I hear a lot of the main conferences, people commit to these, these philosophical beliefs, but when, when you really do the analysis, it doesn't really materialize. So we have to challenge ourselves and hopefully what comes out of this is um, a lot of those companies that were doing that probably won't survive. So that's one positive thing, I guess. I, I hate to be uh, ruthless about it, but I mean, it will create a whole rethink of all of that. So I think that's the positive stuff on social impact that it's going to come back. The other side too is, is uh, for Indigenous communities, like we have our Indigenous businesses, right? There's about 1800, but we're always working carefully with our, you know, 630 plus First Nation communities. There's Métis settlements in parts of the country. There's Inuit communities. If they, if they take a position that t tourism is something they don't really want to see in their territory, that really adds challenges, right? And there's a lot of that kind of conflict under the radar uh, that I'm aware of. So this has given us a break on, on that pressure. Uh, but I will say that as we go forward, it's going to be important that we, re we are careful in that, that COVID-19 has now increased the concern about tourism in their backyards. And so we're going to have to continue to rebuild that that confidence and social license for tourism. So on a number of fronts, I guess this um, is going to um, recalibrate the entire Indigenous tourism world as we knew it uh, prior to uh, February. And um, we're living that right now, as in my role is living that, just trying to help maintain and as many businesses as we can and then uh, tackle a longer term strategy on how we're going to uh, make, hopefully help communities feel more comfortable with uh, tourism coming back. Keith, on that topic, can you touch a little bit on the MOU with YBR because that represents the future and exciting opportunities and also tie it into destination Indigenous because you've taken quite an exciting change in direction there and looking through the website and what you're offering, I see a lot of positive growth and opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, last week we, you know, we, we, as much as we're dealing with those ongoing challenges we've spoken about, we do have to try and maintain our core group of businesses. And one of the ways that ITAC's doing with many of our Indigenous, provincial and territorial partners is creating um, new marketing platforms, right? And so, so last week, you know, YVR is by far one of the most progressive airports I've ever been a, a, a partner with in this entire world. I mean, I've uh, I've had the, um, uh, I guess, unique opportunity of with our work as ITAC being brought up to many other international destinations where they're trying to build Indigenous tourism. And never, when I go into many of these places do, uh, through the airports, you always you never get a second chance to make a first impression, right? And YVR for years now, because of their unique relationship with the Musqueam community here near the airport, you come to the international uh, through the international uh, access, 
I mean, it's an absolute beautiful indigenous welcome. And it's what sets that airport apart from any other in this country. You know, if you go to Pearson, Pearson's a beautiful airport, but it's just, it's just brick and mortar and it's got a lot of nice amenities. And yes, it's got a nice Air Canada lounge and it's got all these wonderful things about it, but you don't get a lot of, you don't get any indigenous welcome. If you're an international guest that wants to understand the culture of Canada, there really is not much there, right? And I and I don't mean disrespect to the airport, but no, no. But it makes so, you so proud, doesn't it? When you walk, when you walk through, you just go, oh, I'm home. Absolutely. It's, so with that, and we want visitors to understand when you come to Canada, whether or not they go enjoy an indigenous experience, we hope they do, but we want them to realize there's something different about Canada. It's not just 150 plus years old; it's thousands of years old. And here's part of that what makes it a special place. You're coming to somewhere beautiful and special. And so I, we loved it. So when we, we started to think about, uh, since we were working with YVR for, since last, our conference at the International Indigenous Tourism Conference at Kelowna last year, uh, they approached us to, to, well, we've been talking together for some time and then we agreed, let's get an MOU done. COVID hit, so it delayed it a bit, but uh, we've been working on that for about a year. And basically, um, you know, uh, I was so excited last week when we had the, the signing, we held it at the uh, Esquayu, uh, uh their uh, air terminal. So it was wonderful to do it at an indigenous owned airport or airline company uh, located on their grounds. And then with the Musqueam First Nation, and it was really to signal, here's a, a new partnership, a three-year partnership, and it's about really how else can our, our indigenous tourism industry uh, play more of a visual role in YVR is really what it's meant to do, whether it's video content throughout the airport, bannering going up to the airport on the roadways. So there's a whole set of tactics we're now putting in place to back up that work. And, and YVR was very progressive and saying, we want to do this. We don't, we wouldn't want to do it for political reasons. It, 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 we know visitors are interested, so let's give them what they want. So, so it's great. That leads us into this whole rethink of how we've created destination indigenous. We want, you know, we, we launched this last year also at the International Indigenous Tourism Conference, and it's a way to continue to create Canada as a unique indigenous destination that it, wherever you go, whether you're here in Vancouver where I am today, or you're in Toronto, or you're in Halifax, or you're in Yellowknife, or you're in Nunavut, everywhere you go, this is an indigenous country. It's an indigenous land. And, and, and we have unique experiences that we want you to try and make it easy for you to find so all of these things kind of go in tandem of course and and the new platform has you know the interactive map and it's got all of more of our business profiles and and you know it's just making consumers more and more aware of that platform so it's been an exciting time like as i said it's despite our challenges mm -hmm. uh our industry is trying its best to try and create domestic uh, support as, uh, and, and awareness. And I think, um, you know, I know our indigenous businesses that are, our indigenous tourism businesses that are on that platform are very proud and really need that marketing support because they just don't have the, the revenues coming in to, to invest a lot of marketing on their own right now. So these things are really important for them. And so we're going to continue to over the course of the next 12 months, we have a, a series of other things we're working on that we hope to have other sort of, public uh, um, public profile of Destination Indigenous with other major partners. So, you know, we're doing these things as we speak and it was very, I have to say last week was um, really exciting. It's, I felt like, okay, we're, we're officially in now in recovery. We're in recovery, we're, we're moving um, forward, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So good, and you know, you need those, those little bursts of inspiration along the way, we all do. And that's part of what all of this wellness is about is that, you know, it's the mental acuity. We have to keep going through this, we have to be positive, which 
it, it, last question, quick if you don't mind. Um, we've got some new leadership at the helm with Destination Canada. Marsha Walden has left Destination BC where she's been for almost seven years and uh, she's taking over for our country nationally. I know there's been some great collaborative opportunities with you together. Do you see this growing into a bigger opportunity now? And I, I don't want to put you on the spot. You don't have to well, tell any, any secrets, but no, uh, no secrets, we're excited. But <laughs> I absolutely very excited because I, I've known Marsh. I consider her a really good professional colleague and friend. Uh, I worked with her in my role in BC before. As soon as she got that new role, we connected. We've been had, uh, you know, some good, we've had a couple of really good conversations. So what I like about Marsha is that person, that role at Destination Canada has to have an appreciation of the wide variety of interests and needs to build and rebuild indigenous or rebuild tourism in this country right now and i believe marsh's experience in bc bc was you know is a very large player in the tourism space she has that and what i especially appreciate is that she really understands the importance of indigenous tourism so you know i'm very excited i i think she's going to be a great ally and you know we have an mou with destination canada and this is going to continue to like i've i felt without they've been without a, a, a full-time president ceo there for the last basically year. And so I really am relieved that they've got someone now we can really work closely with and we've already started some great collaboration. Oh, that's exciting to hear. Well, my friend, uh, this has been highly informative and enjoyable. And I know that we've got, you know, I, we have such tremendous leadership with you at the helm with Indigenous Tourism, but your team, as you said in the opening, is so much a part of it and you're surrounded with great, uh, collaborators and and uh, players who want to see the success that you had earned so much before come to fruition again and I know it's going to happen we just as you said in one of your uh, letters that you address people that you know we we got into this together all of us and we're going to get out of it together aren't we that's right. You know what? We I we already have a plan to fully recover. Now we're just working with partners to how to support the plan. I believe within three years, with the right support, we can be back to 2019 levels. And I know that's not uh, super exciting for some people, but for me, I know how far we've gone backwards in, in six months. It's going to take us three to four years to really get back to those levels. But I know that we can get there. And I, I, I to me. That's why I, I believe we will get through this. And it's just a matter of us working together continually and, and just being as much of a, uh, we really need to work, whether we're indigenous to indigenous or indigenous to non-indigenous as an industry, now has never been a more important time for us to pull together. And I know together is the only way we're gonna come out of this. Oh, well said, Keith. Thank you so much. This is Keith Henry, the President and CEO of Indigenous Tourism Association of Canada. We've had a wonderful conversation and I hope you'll come back again really soon because I think you're going to have interesting progress reports as we go along. Thanks, Keith. Thank you for Stay having me. Stay safe, be well, and we'll talk to you really soon. Sounds good.